Well, good morning again. <clears throat> For those are, that are online, I'm Pastor Dan. I welcome those who are here, and of course, I'm welcoming again those who are online to our New Hope Chapel Sunday morning prayer and worship service. The title of my sermon this morning is Soul Music, A Song for Tomorrow. My text is Psalm 1, verses 1 through 4. It should be printed up there. It is on the display in the New American Standard. The outline is also up there for your easy reference. But if I might offer a brief comment now, and that's to tell you simply this. This sermon is so simple, so obvious, so well-knowing. Why am I delivering such a sermon? Because it is so simple and obvious that we tend to overlook, perhaps ignore, or forget its message. Perhaps we do not take the simple biblical principle seriously. The Holy Spirit did. It included that in the Word. And then we find ourselves in hot water and we never make the connection. Of course, lastly, these are simple guiding principles for parenting your children. So please turn with me, as I generally do, to Psalm 1914. I'm seeking God's approval of my words, which are his thoughts. So dear Lord, this morning, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. Amen? You know, it occurred to me the other day just how much God loves music. Think about this. The only art of earth that we take to heaven is music. I don't know what we're all going to be doing in heaven, but if you sing or play an instrument, I know of the things you're going to be doing. Even if you don't sing and you don't play, you're going to learn very quickly, perhaps to do both. The Bible makes it very plain. There is always music in heaven. Of all the arts and crafts that humankind has learned over the last several hundreds of year, thousands of years, the only one we are told specifically in the Bible that we will take from earth to heaven is music. I'm delivering this morning a sermon that, is, that I'm calling soul music. Soul music is just that. It is music that speaks to the heart, music that speaks to the soul, and music that speaks to the spirit. And there is a song for yesterday that deals with your past. There is a song for today that helps you face whatever problems you may be having in your life right now. This morning I want to deliver to you a song for tomorrow. It is the first psalm and therefore the first song in the book of Psalms because as most of you know the word psalm means song. This psalm tells us how to approach tomorrow, how to make sure if indeed we live to see another day that we can ensure that tomorrow will be successful. The word success is one of the most used, misused, and abused words that I know. 
See, what the world calls success is not necessarily success. Let me give you two kinds of successes that people have. First, success that dies with a person. And two, success that outlives a person. And the first psalm was written to show us a way to true success. And true success makes you not only emotionally happy, it makes you eternally happy. The first five words of Psalm 1 say, How blessed is the person. Another translation puts it this way, How happy is the person. See, we know that this psalm is God's blueprint for blessing. It is God's hallway to happiness. And the word blessed is actually in the Hebrew language a plural word. It refers to the intensity and the multiplicity of the blessings that await anyone who will do what this psalm tells them to do. In the Old Testament, a blessing would be synonymous with what we call today success. Now get into your heart and mind the fact that God wants you to be successful. Psalm 35, 27 says, The Lord delights in the prosperity of his servant. The Apostle John even said to some of his friends in 3 John chapter 1, verse 2, I pray that in all respects you may prosper and be in good health just as your soul prospers. You know, every parent has the desire that his children be successful. And I am no different than any other parent. Let me share with you one of the greatest fears I had for my three children. It was not that they would not succeed. My greatest fear was that they would succeed in things that really don't matter. Anyone knows that real success always means being prepared for tomorrow, but you don't focus on tomorrow because tomorrow may never come. But if tomorrow does come, you should be ready to make tomorrow the greatest today of your life. And the psalmist tells us exactly how to do that. In your outline, consider first to stay away from bad company. Psalm 1, verse 1 states, Blessed is the person who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. The psalmist describes three groups of people, the wicked, the sinner, and the scornful. They're all very different, although one person can be all of them. And the first person is called the wicked. That's the person that hangs out at sin's saloon. He's referred to also as the ungodly, The prefix un means not. If you are unafraid, that means you are not afraid. If you are ungodly, that means it's simply that you have no room for God in your life. Now, very few people are really anti-godly. They're just ungodly. Most people don't go around talking about how they hate God. As a matter of fact, most people believe in a great God. The problem is this. They simply don't have room for God in their lives. Now, here in America, we love to trumpet, we love to broadcast the statistics that show that Americans, 96% of Americans, believe in God. The only problem is this. 
at least 80% of Americans live as if there were no God. So we may not have many intellectual atheists, but we are a country full of practical atheists. And so the, the word ungodly literally means wicked. Now we oftentimes think of wicked people as people who murder, who cheat, who lie, who deceive, who steal. But listen, wicked people wear tailor-made suits, go to church every week and give money to charity. And then we move from the wicked to the sinner. And what's the difference? The wicked person is ungodly. The sinner is unholy. The sinner is someone who not only lives as if there is no God, but he knows he lives like that. And it doesn't bother him. You know, Hollywood not only flaunts fornication and premarital sex, both in its lifestyle and in its movies, it actually brags about it. The Hollywood mentality is described perfectly in Proverbs 30, verse 20. In the New Living Translation, it states, Equally amazing is how an adulterous woman can satisfy her sexual appetite, shrug her shoulders, and then say, What's wrong with that? And finally, we come to the scornful or the scoffer. This is a person that is unruly. The word refers to a dog snarl. It literally means to make a face at. This is the man who is not only a sinner and wicked, but he laughs at it. He mocks God. He mocks sin. He makes fun of the whole concept. Proverbs 14.9 speaks of fools who mock at sin. If you want to be successful, you've got to stay away from the bad company that's represented by these kind of people. And first of all, you cannot listen to their counsel. You've got to turn a deaf ear to the counsel of this world. The world is the devil's psychiatrist. Why would you want to sit in his couch? You know, I had a man come to me who was having severe marital difficulties. He was trying to get his marriage back together again. And as we talked, I asked him, how could I pray for you and your wife? And he said, would you please pray that she would reject ungodly counsel? And then we discussed the fact that she was consulting with a woman who had been divorced several times, and this woman was counseling her to get a divorce as well. You know, you would be better off getting advice on brain surgery from an automobile mechanic than listen to the world's advice. Think about it. Why would you listen to a world full of sin and receive advice from it on how to deal with sin? That reminds me of a story that I believe that I have shared with most of you, if not all of you, but it's this. It's like a man who had a sick mule and he went to his next-door neighbor and said, Sam, my mule is sick. When your mule got sick, what did you do for it? Sam said, I gave him a quart of kerosene. The man went home and gave his mule a quart of kerosene, and the mule died. He came back and said, Sam, didn't you tell me you gave your mule a quart of kerosene? 
He said, yes, I did. The man said, I did that, and my mule died. And Sam said, don't feel bad. Mine did too. There are people who are dead today, in prison today, people who are on the junk heap of life today, people who are eaten up with sexual disease today because they listened to the wrong crowd. And then we are told not only not to listen to bad company, but we are also told to not even hang out with them. Verse 1 says, nor stand in the path of sinners. Do you see the progression here? Once you begin to believe bad company, you then begin to behave like bad company. Action always follows advice. What will get into your head will always get down into your heart. What you believe will determine your behavior. That is why if you feed your mind mental junk food, you will live a junkyard life. If you listen to the wrong crowd and you hang around the wrong crowd, then you will start acting like the wrong crowd. And then you pass into the third phase, where verse 1 says again, sit in the seat of scoffers. This is the worst stage of all. This is when you are really fully trapped with the wrong crowd. First you accept their advice, then you imitate their actions, and then you adopt their attitude. And that is exactly how the wrong crowd gets into a person's life. First they entice you, then they engage you, and then they embrace you. Listen, as I said in the beginning, all the psalmist is doing is simply telling us what we already know. The best way to deal with a potential problem, in God's opinion, is to stay away from it. The best way to deal with alcohol is simply not drink it. The best way to deal with drugs is don't take them. The best way to deal with pornography is don't read it. The best way to deal with profanity is don't use it. See, the old saying really is true. Bad company corrupts good morals. So stay away from bad company. In your outline, consider secondly to study and meditate on God's word. Psalm 1, verse 2. I know there's a lot of people who think their success is tied to the Wall Street Journal or to Money Magazine or Forbes Magazine or some other publication. But I don't mind telling you that the only type of success that will outlive you is the success you will find in the Word of God. In fact, the Bible clearly teaches that God blesses a person directly and in proportion to their relationship to God's Word. Listen, here is the person who God blesses with the type of success that outlives them. It's revealed in Psalm 1-2, and it states, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. The word delight literally means pleasure. I really believe that when you are close to God and are right with God, nothing will give you more pleasure than reading the word of God. 
One of the things that I think we should pray for, as I do in my own life, for my family and for myself, is that we would be, have a hunger for the word of God. You know, King David wrote most of the Psalms, and he had a literal love affair with the word of God. Listen to these words in Psalm 119. Verse 14 states, I have rejoiced in the way of your testimonies as much as in all riches. He said again, Psalm 119, verse 72, The law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. And then Psalm 119, verse 97, How I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Lastly, Psalm 119, verse 103, How sweet are your words to my taste. Yes, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Let's all be honest. Do we have that same delight? That same desire? That same dedication? That same devotion to the Word of God? I just want to make a statement and move on. And that is that I think sometimes we delight too much in the preacher of God's Word rather than in God's Word that the preacher is preaching. Now, it is not enough just to read the word of God. We're also told in Psalm 1, verse 2, and in his law he meditates day and night. There is more to the Bible than just reading it or even studying it. We are to meditate on it. And the word meditate literally means to speak to yourself. It has the overtones of humming. Have you ever listened to a tune and the tune just got stuck in your mind and you caught yourself during the day humming that tune? That is the picture that's painted here. We should constantly be humming the tune of God's word to ourselves, meditating on it day and night. It's like a song. You can't get out of your mind. So let me tell you why so many of us read our Bibles almost in a grinding sort of way and then we'll say to each other when few are listening, you know, I read my Bible, but I don't get much out of it. May I tell you why that is true for a lot of us? Because you read it and then you forget it. For some of us, reading our Bible is just another thing we check off our to-do list and we walk away from it and never really think about what we've just read. Let me give you an easy example of meditation. Take John 3.16. Have you ever really thought about John 3.16? Have you taken time to work through it? For God so loved the world. Wait a minute. That means God loves me. And not only means God love, loves me, but it means God loves everyone else, regardless of who they are, regardless of whether they believe in him or not, regardless of whether they accept him or not. That means I am to love other people the same way, just like that. That he gave his only begotten son, 
Love gives. If God loved me so much that he gave his son for me, then I, if I really, really love him, shouldn't I give things like my money, my time, and my talents back to him? Whosoever believes in him should have eternal life. All that is necessary to receive eternal life is to believe in Jesus and commit your life to him. If I believe in Jesus Christ, and if we have committed our life to him, God says, I have eternal life. If I have eternal life, I can know for sure when I die that I am going to heaven. If I know for sure that I am going to heaven when I die, and I know that because God loved me so much, he gave his son for me, that ought to fill my life with joy, no matter what else is going on. Do you see the awesome power of meditation? That is why success is tied to God's word, and it is not enough to stay away from bad company. We must study and meditate on God's word. And lastly, in your outline, consider thirdly to stand for what is right. Psalm 1, verses 3 and 4. When you do the things that I have so far spoken of, here is what you will be like. Psalm 1, verse 3. He will be like a tree planted by streams of water which yield its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither and in whatever he does, he prospers. Why did the psalmist compare successful people to trees? Think about it. A healthy tree stands firm. Look at the words again, Psalm 1-3. He will be like a tree planted by streams of water. When you are planted by God and he plants you beside the river of his truth, you will be unshakable in what you believe. And therefore, you will be unwavering in how you behave. And Jesus made a statement that really makes sense in this context. He said in Matthew 15, 13, Every plant which my heavenly Father did not plant shall be uprooted. What does that mean? That means when a person is planted in the truth of God's word and has chosen to abide by what God says, he will not have to read the latest public opinion polls or put his finger to the wind to know what he believes. When you stand on the word of God, it doesn't matter what anybody else says or what anybody else believes. Righteous people are not guided by polls, by pundits, or by the public. They are guided by the principles based on God's word. If you study history, you will find that the people who have truly moved this world have been people that the world could not move. They could not be uprooted. Where on God's earth would we be today in America, in our race relations, were it not, for example, for Martin Luther King. 
How could one African-American man move an entire nation in a way that a civil war could not? And the reason he could move this nation is because this nation could not move him. That is the mark of a tree that stands firm. And this tree also bears fruit. Verse 3 goes on to say, which yields its fruit in its season. Listen, every life, every life is a fruit-bearing tree. But there are only two types of fruit-bearing trees in this world. Trees that bear ripe fruit and trees that bear rotten fruit. That's why we go on to read in Psalm 4, the wicked are not so, for they are like chaff which the wind blows away. The verse may be hard for some to understand unless you understand the agricultural life of Palestine back in Bible days. Threshing floors were located on hills that would catch the best breezes. Grain would be brought, crushed by animals or by threshing instruments that they had, and then it would be pitched up into the air, and the shaft would be grabbed by the wind. The grain, which was the, the wheat, which was the heavier grain, would fall to the threshing floor to be collected. The shaft was scattered where the wind would take it. It was then gathered, collected, and burned. It was worthless waste. Psalm 1-4 says, the wicked are like chaff. Now the truly successful person bears fruit that lasts. John said in, Jesus said in John 15-16, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. So finally, the truly successful person will bear fruit that remains Fresh, because this tree has, verse 3, a leaf which does not wither. Here is a tree that is always green. Its leaves are always fertile. Its roots are always fruitful. That is the way God wants us to be, fruitful in season and fresh in all seasons. There is a Christian college, which I attended, St. Benedict's in the Midwest, where there was once a large, lovely tree that was a central part of the landscape. It was one of the places that students would love to come and meet and talk. And for decades, that giant oak brought beauty to the campus and shade to thousands of students. One day, a loud crack echoed across the campus, and that tree under which so many conversations had taken place and so many memories had been built, crashed to the ground. When they examined it, they noticed that disease had been growing within that massive tree to the point where all that was left was the outer trunk. Inside was nothing more than an empty shell, so when the harsh wind blew, the hollow tree fell over. I just described to you the vast majority of people who live in this world. On the outside, they look happy, and many of them are happy. They look healthy, 
and many of them are healthy. But spiritually, they are as dry as dust and as dead as a graveyard. If there's anyone like that here today or online who maybe has everything money can buy, but you don't have the one and most important thing that money cannot buy, which is a relationship to God, a home in heaven, and a purpose that will live, that will outlast you, then this song is for you. The service is over. As we leave this sanctuary and as you leave your online watching and you return to the world, ask yourselves, how much of the world do you live in? The Word of God tells us that we are in the world, not of the world. And you measure your godly blessings. Psalm 1 tells us how to increase those blessings. And so let us listen to the counsel of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, for the one true God is with us. Amen? We will see you next Sunday.